Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. I am thrilled to have on the show Jeanette Schneider, who is the author of Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future. She's an accomplished speaker. She has had a very successful career in the financial industry, and she has had to really reinvent herself throughout the, the course of her life, the course of her, her career, going from someone who was raised in a largely insular religious environment with a lot of preconceived notions to being a successful woman in a man's dominated industry. She has learned how to successfully co-parent with her ex-husband's girlfriend with her daughter for her daughter. And so that's fascinating. So there's there's so much here in our discussion that I think would be of tremendous value to you. I highly encourage you to take notes. We didn't get through, you know, one tenth of I felt like what she could talk about. So hopefully there'll be a follow-up episode. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this podcast has been brought to you by me, Jacob Rupp, and Jacob Rupp's Consulting, uh, Technically Lift Your Legacy. Now, I have to be honest, I help clients often get out of their own way. And something that has really held me up was exactly the same thing, that I was in my own way. For months, people have been saying, you know, talk about your coaching, talk about how you help people, share it, etc. And I had a really hard time putting it out there. Why? Because it's not that I don't think I do a great job. I've seen amazing results from my clients, you know, 10x, uh, more than that, businesses, fixed relationships, um, helped people lose a lot of weight, people go on the path of, of making goals and fulfilling their goals, all of these things. I know I do it. And I've been in the coaching space long enough to know that there's a lot of people that don't really deliver. And the ones that do really deliver are, are worth literally their, their weight in gold because so often we're held back by stuff. And it's just like, if only I could get over that, if only I could work through that. And I help people do that. But for me, my big holdup was sharing that I do this in a big way, in a public way, especially on the podcast, because it's awkward. I don't want people to think, oh, I'm just making the podcast to, to sell you stuff or to talk about stuff. So that, that's not what I'm doing. Um, my point is like this. My coaching business is expanding. I'm taking on a few more clients. If you are someone that is struggling in the area of self-esteem, goal setting, health, relationships, or your, or your business, really, um, reach out. I don't know if we're a good fit to work with each other. What I can guarantee you is that we'll get on the phone for half an hour. Uh, I'll hear the kind of challenges you're having. You'll get a good feel if you don't know me yet of the kind of work I do, kind of program I would recommend for you. And if it's a great fit, we'll move forward. And if not, not. But I wanted to appreciate very much from the bottom of my heart, the fact that you guys all listen. I appreciate the amazing guests that I have. And I'm really thrilled to have broken through in my own life to the point where I could actually devote a segment to really make a somewhat long-winded, but I think very important advertisement. So if you want to reach out to me, the email is rabbi, R-A-B-B-I, Rupp at gmail.com. And the website is liftyourlegacy.live. 
and at lift your legacy, lift underscore your underscore legacy on Instagram. I think it's pretty simple. You, you know where to find me because you found the podcast. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here with Jeanette Schneider, who is a, an expert when it comes to quite a few subjects, but what <laughs> is most fascinating for me, and I'm very, very excited to speak about it, is both this concept of co-parenting, but also this idea of kind of de- deconstructing the different voices and messages that you might have got from your past that are making a very um, profound impact on where you are right now. So before we jump to that, Jeanette, maybe you can give me a little bit of background how you got to where you are, how you built the the messaging that you did, and and some of the really big steps that you took in your life that got you to you know being this 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 person that speaks about these important things. That's a big question. It's a very big question. Um, it's it's you know with everyone, our our lives are very layered, and we have many different roads. For me, um, it was a couple of things. Uh, my my background is in finance, so I was working in a heavily uh, male dominated industry. Um, where I had to kind of in many ways masculinize myself and suddenly I am the mother to a little girl and I'm trying to figure out how to construct conscious messaging for her. Um, That was a big part of the shift in the way that I would approach my writing. I was writing for a long time for various outlets and publications and all of a sudden I was like, you know, if I'm going to write, I'm going to write about conscious parenting and specifically consciously parenting a girl. Um, shortly thereafter, I went through a divorce, unfortunately. And so that kind of created a whole new paradigm for me, trying to figure out how to consciously co-parent and be a single woman. Um, and I think all of these things kind of came together um, in this like perfect storm. I, at the time, it did not seem all that great. <laughs> like you're going through these huge life changes and you're like, all right, this is my life. This is, this is, I have to create the best possible messaging for my daughter. Um, and I think that had to do with the fact that being in corporate America and being in such a masculinized industry, I was very aware of what we tell women um, about how to show up in, in life, love, the workplace, and how they're conflicting messages. And I didn't want my daughter to enter relationships or the workplace with the same kind of messaging. And then when I had the opportunity to co-parent and my ex-husband started to date other women, I had to then figure out if I wanted to walk into almost competitive situations with these other women who are clearly going to have an impact on my daughter, I knew that these women would be important in my daughter's life. So I needed to make them important in my life. So it was a huge shift. I mean, it's a huge shift in mindset. Um, and I got a little, you know, tough love well, along the way. Let me, let me, let me, let me slow you down here. Cause you're saying sure. a bunch of really important things and I wanted to, to articulate them very quickly. So you said that, first of all, the idea of conscious parenting was something that really expressed itself as you started to try to figure out how to go from a, I guess you could say implied gender role to a, um, a, con- a constructed way that you as a woman would have to relate to, you know, the masculine workforce, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And then you had to go back and say, okay, so now, now that I could switch it, I have to, I have to, I have to figure out how to construct it for my daughter. And I'm hoping, and I'm, I'm assuming that your goal was not to have your daughter grow up as a quote woman then have to relearn all the hard lessons you did, if that makes sense. So, so how, did you, how did you, I guess, what was the prevailing um, set of beliefs or, or outlooks that you had growing up as a quote, as, you know, as a woman, and mm-hmm. I don't know, quote woman, but I'm saying like, you know, what are the girly ways you were raised? Right. What are the messages that you try to take on when you're working in the male industry? And then how did you synthesize that for healthy development in kids? It's, well, it's really complicated because I think the way I was raised, I was raised in a high, uh, high 
control religion. Um, very, um, my, my father was a minister, and it very much was women were subjective, uh, subjected to men. And there was some really strange gender roles, like the woman couldn't pray in front of the man. Like there was very, some very like underlying kind of, there's an expectation that the man is better than the woman. She can't even worship in the same ways. Um, and there was a lot of like, what will people think? And you're a minister's daughter. So there was also a lot of expectation on me to behave a certain way, which I think is really difficult for any kid um, because they're trying to figure out who they are in the world and what their voice looks like. And I was so annoying to my father because I have a big voice, right? And so I, I came across, I think, as willful and defiant. And I didn't mean to be. I was more curious and trying to understand. And so I went from this kind of patriarchal, family and religion into a patriarchal way of being, but I never quite fit into either. There were also some really uncomfortable messaging around body and women and the way we show up for men in the world. That I, I, need, I need to stop you. I want okay. to go back. <laughs> so what you're saying is, and, I, and I, want to, I want to speak about that. That's very important, but I want to go back for a second if I could and ask, it seems to be you were raised in what you would call a patriarchal religion where there was an implicit I don't know if, if, if a discrepancy between the genders is something that we should just completely gloss over, but it was certainly a one is better than the other. At least that was how you, the model was presented to you and your family. And, and you know, you sort of had to fall in line to be the minister's eyes. It sounds like there's all kinds of expectations with you growing up. How was it so much different in the workforce? It sounds like it's the same thing, just, you know, now it's for profit. It's, well, I mean, it is. And unfortunately, Fortunately, I don't know if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street or Boiler Room, it's also highly sexualized. So you move from an environment that's patriarchal in faith and belief and the way you serve a man, you give him his dinner, you make sure he's happy, you know, he, whatever. And then you move into an environment where you're kind of a piece of meat, unfortunately. And I hate to say it in those terms, but you walk into an environment where you have a choice. I can either sexualize myself to get them to listen to me, or I can masculinize myself to get them to listen to me. Nobody here is acting like a parent figure, right? Everyone here needs something from me in some way. So how do I show up in a way that gets them to listen? Unfortunately, this is where I think a lot of women make a mistake is we can't figure out who we really are in the world and how to show up as that nurturing, beautiful, feminine energy that we have. Because unfortunately, in a lot of the workforces that we enter, that's considered weak. So you have to figure out, okay, like, how do I get them to listen to me? So it's, it's just different, right? You're moving from dad's house to the guy, like the frat house, basically. And you're like, how do I show up in this one? So they listen to me and I don't do the things I'm not allowed to. So is, is that concept, I mean, maybe you can share it because some, you know, men might or might not go through this. I'm assuming, I'm assuming much less than, than women do. What is that? experience like when it becomes very evident that your value is going to be dictated by how you look? And what do you do about that? So I had someone ask me one time, because I worked with um, ultra high net worth men, 90% of my clients were men. Um, and I had someone say, if you complained about every man who did something or said something inappropriate to you, what would you do? I said, I would not have a career. You get to the point to where you kind of learn like how to very kindly and cautiously let them know that their behavior is inappropriate in a way that doesn't like shut them down or make them upset. It's like you're always learning this kind of balancing act towards like, I need to make a living. I'm really, really smart. I just want them to hear like how intelligent I am. So there were times where like I would put my hair back in a bun and I'd wear glasses and um, 
I was always at a disadvantage walking into a, a meeting or a boardroom. And I knew that straight off the bat. I also knew that after the first five minutes of hearing me talk, they'd realize I was really intelligent. And then suddenly they kind of back off and listen. And I've had so many moments where we'd walk in and I would have um, my uh, colleagues with me and the men in the room would speak to my colleagues, not realizing I was the decision maker. And then my colleague, we would just sit there and they got used to it. And after a while, they'd both look at me and say, Jeanette, what would you like to do in this situation? And all the guys in the room were like, like oh, darn it. What? Right. She's right. the powerful one? Right. You know? And so I think it's like, it's one of those things. I do have to say that I, I am happy that I never had a reputation for allowing any of the bad behavior to continue. Um, I unfortunately was sexually harassed by a client. We did end up in litigation. It was a big mess. Um, but I walked away from every situation knowing that I showed up, even though I masculinized myself, and that's something I had to learn how to unwind. Um, it's a kind of a, it's something that you're dealing with on a daily basis. And when I speak now to girls, I do a lot of speaking in STEM and STEAM based programs and girls every single time will ask me, have you ever experienced gender discrimination? And I say, Yes, but here's the thing. Women like me and the women in this room that have you here and the women who are speaking and going into boardrooms and taking on these positions, they're trying to make it better for you. So take heart that by the time you get there, I think the conversation is going to have changed. Um, so that's my hope for them. I, I also think it's a beautiful perspective that when a person, you know, there, there is such a, I hate saying the, the, the victimization concept today, but we find, you know, that, that we look at a lot of these problems and we assume that it's just a systemic problem. And, and I'm sure it is, you know, it okay. is, but, but it's very, um, it's very, it takes away all your power. If you say, this is just what it is and I have to accept it. And if you take that perspective of this problem sucks so that I can make it better for my tribe that's coming after me. Not yeah. only does it push you through, but it makes you don't have to like squeeze through. You have to blow the entire door open. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, hundred percent. Because, and I think that's one thing too, because, and I feel, I feel, I love men and I feel kind of bad for men right now. And especially that are in kind of executive positions or positions of power, because there's some really, great guys out there that just don't know that they've bought into just a, a subconscious way of relating and being right and so they're not trying to do anything bad and I say to them please mentor someone if you see a woman who is has some kind of intelligence has some kind of whatever don't be afraid afraid of her mentor her give her the same opportunities that you would give a guy that has the same qualifications um, and I think it's just it's unfortunate and, and I don't want it to be oh it's just the way it is I feel like the generation before me says that there's a lot of, why are you being so loud? It's just the way it is. Just shut up. We did it. And I'm like, my daughter will not face this. The amount of times that I've had to pull a guy away from me physically and be like, oh, haha, let's just look at your balances. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't want her to have that same experience. So let me ask you a question in the sense that you, you mentioned that men um, – you know that, that that you have to get past the looks and go straight to the brain. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious if there are other components or what do women do that don't want to be you know uh, objectified that aren't terribly intelligent. You know, like like everybody. Like what? How does a how does a woman? How does a person in general cultivate their unique strength in an environment where again, if you've got a brilliant mind, great, we know what to do with you. If you have you know, a, an attractive body. Yeah, I'm saying like, how do you, how do you cultivate your unique individuality? And then part B, which could be a completely separate question is how do you then integrate it into your whole life? Which is just because you have to become, you know, masculine or quote unquote masculine in the, in the, in the boardroom in your office doesn't mean that you, you want to maintain your femininity and that's really your strength. 
Right. And I think for women, and this is the, the huge like, kind of cornerstone of my book, it's really getting in and saying, what do I actually believe about myself and who am I? So that I am not adjusting myself to either the surroundings around, like the people around me, the surroundings around me or what I want to achieve. But who do I, who do I, who am I in the evening when I'm by myself? Um, I walk people through exercises where we actually pull out all of your kind of unconscious beliefs. Why do you believe these things about yourself? Do you actually believe the religion of your childhood? Has your culture affected you and still, do you still believe it? All of the advertising that you see and the social kind of constructs that you've bought into, do you actually believe them? And if you were talking to your child, would you tell the, these things just wrote or because they actually are coming from within your own belief system? And so a lot of people say when they go through the first part of my book, they're like, this is really hard. And I walk them through a love letters exercise too, where it's actually going back in time and kind of connecting with that younger child and saying, what does she need from me? What does she need to know? And a lot of times it's, I believe I'm unworthy. I believe I shouldn't have, I shouldn't take up space. I believe I'm unlovable. There are all these beliefs that we have that came to us unconsciously just because of all of the constructs that our kind of family or culture brought to us. We have to pull them out of us. And I, if you ask a woman, if you ask me, like, how do you tell a woman to, to stand in who she is? She has to get clear on who she is. She has to get clear on what's been told to her and what she actually believes on a go-forward basis. So you're standing on a very difficult, um, a very difficult, uh, I guess you could say, like, like boundary here because so much of who we are and certainly, you know, the the you can say the bent of modern psychology is that you know you are kind of the product of all right. of these different inputs and you as an individual you as a unique person you don't really exist and if we just knew you know if the science was good enough i heard yesterday that you know if if the if, if the brain our knowledge of the brain is like if there's a 10 mile walk we've gotten like the first two or three inches so once we so to speak get everything you yeah. as a person will not exist so one of the questions that that naturally pops up is if I'm going through my life and I want to go even more specifically, you know, in terms of the, the, the parental relationships, but if I'm going through my life and I'm thinking about my religious upbringing, I'm thinking about, you know, the American values I might've picked up, you know, just the messaging, et cetera. How do I find me when me in most cases is my environment? Yeah, I think it's, so my, my path to finding my faith again and finding who I, I was after all of the things I'd been told to me was, is kind of one of those like break, breaking open kind of moments, right? Realizing that um, I was showing up in relationships and in work settings with the same unworthiness kind of standard that I had apparently unconsciously taken on. Makes me sad if we actually are like, okay, cool, psychology says that this is just who we are. Guess that's just it. I mean, that's a terrible way to live. And you're going to walk with all the cycles and all the drama that your parents and their generations, the generations before you. Can you stop and say that one more time? Because it's, it's literally, again, I, I, do, I do a fair amount of teaching myself. And this concept is so unbelievably fundamental that the, 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 the way that we view, you know, just like the in, inputs of psychology and, and the way that we view science and, and the cause and effect, the, the net result is you wind up being miserable. So it's like, you yes. can either like, <laughs> like buy into this, this psychology, you know, it's like, oh, this is the modern way of looking at it, but like, but you're miserable. And, and a lot of our ancestors, even if they didn't have the same, you know, um, uh, developed understanding of the world, their lives were probably better in terms of like just self-conscious and being self-happy. So, so speak a little more into that about how you, how you deal with truth and how to pay attention to what's going on inside of you and, and how do you relate the two of them? 
I have to tell you, so that I kind of got permission to do this from, so I had three experiences with three different people who um, had conversations with me right before they died. My grandmother, my grandfather, and a client of mine who was like a grandfather to me. Um, my grandfather, who was the patriarch of our religion and started our faith in our community, said, they are just men, little one, find your own way. I was like, what? You know, like right before he died, he's like, everything I taught you, eh, they're just men. They're just men. And I was like, oh my God, this is like our entire belief system that you're kind of saying, hey, don't worry about it because our elders were revered. We were afraid of them. So to tell me that they're just men is such a huge shift. That, that, that crashes so much. How did you, how did you handle that? I think in a way, it kind of gave me permission to be who I was because I was already the outcast, the black sheep. I already had kind of the, my dad wasn't in the place that my grandfather was. My dad still was upset with me for a few more years, but my grandfather was like, you're good. Because I was, I was in trouble, right? I was doing bad things and I was getting in trouble, but they, in the grand scheme of things, they're stupid 20-year-old things, right? And my grandfather's like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. So, so, to, so to, to repeat that, what you heard, you, you know, I'm a, a, a father with kids when my, when my note pen is, is a marker. Um, <laughs> marker. But, uh, but, uh, but so to reiterate is that there's a lot of, in our religion and in, in, in a religion, in, in religion in general, there's a lot of putting people on the pedestal of where God should be. And, and this is another concept that I think is so fundamental and so beautiful what your grandfather said is that, you know, people's religious path, God is big enough for everybody and God made us the way that we are and we have to find that, but we very often substitute God with other people and then it just becomes a big thing about, you know, am I making you happy? And then you can't really express yourself. Yes, 100%. And, I got, and that was a big issue for me, that whole like, well, what are they going to think because of the role that I had within our religion? Being this, my grandfather and my dad are these huge religious leaders, right? Like, this is a big deal. Um, and my grandmother was so funny to me because, you know, she was, she was married to him for 60 years. They had 10 children together. And 10, yes. <laughs> and nice. she said to me, um, when she passed away, she said, um, don't worry about the big things. They take care of themselves. Worry about the little things and love each other every day. And then this other gentleman who had gone after riches. Stop. What, did, what does that say to you? Like, what so did you take away from It was like, we get so wrapped up in junk, right? At the time, like everybody, she had 10 kids who all have their own problems and their own stuff. And they're all coming to her. And it's almost like she was kind of like, my grandfather had passed. She was like the matriarch. Like she was like blessing everyone. Like, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. I'm not mad at any of you. You're all fine. And to me, she was just basically saying like, I had gone through a divorce. I was raising my little girl now by my, not by myself, but co-parenting. And I was just kind of in, like, I was in between and I was kind of sad and she's passing and we had a good relationship. And she was just like, it's all going to work itself out. Like, don't just love your daughter, love your friends, love the people and stop judging them. Because my family spent so much time, I think, looking at how we weren't doing things right, right? Like, oh, well, so-and-so did this and she's not, you know, she didn't pray about that. You know I mean? It's like it's so judgmental. And she was like, none of it matters. You, you know, know I, 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 you know, as you, as you're speaking, what's kind of, you had mentioned that one of the exercises that you do is this idea of speaking to the child in you and trying yes. to you know, hash out the, the messaging, you know, you have a little five-year-old there and it's like, you know, what if, if you're the big grown up? what would you go back and tell the kid so that, you know, you don't wind up the way that you wound up. But the interesting thing is that I've never, I've never heard this, but it, but it sounds 
fascinating is the idea that you also have to develop an identity of what are you going to be like as the old matriarch or patriarch, whereas you're, you're very big picture. And it's like, at that point, you're telling everyone, just relax. It's okay. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And it, you have to be very old and be completely divested from this stuff to actually believe that. I make my decisions from my deathbed. I actually, someone told me recently, they're like, that's so morbid. I'm like, no, but I've had these experiences, right? So I automatically think of my future self laying on my deathbed, looking around at my family and saying, what's actually important? Is it important that I was a W-2 employee and we got to go on great vacations? Or was it more important that I actually lived for something? Like, are you proud of me when I leave? Or am I telling you to just continue to slog away? Like what? Kind of like what your grandfather did. Kind of, I yeah. mean, that's, that's, that's the crazy thing is that on one hand, you have your, the impression that your grandmother made. And the other hand, you see sort of the, the regret in at least how the message was passed on yeah. by your grandfather. Yeah. That's fascinating. It is. And I think it's, and the, the third one, the third gentleman, he was a lovely man. And he said to me, he had built up a lot of wealth. I was his advisor. And at the end of his life, it was me that he was calling. And I'm sitting next to my tears streaming down my face because he, he knew that he was sick, but he didn't realize how sick. And he just wanted to be with his, his wife who had passed years before. And he shared some thoughts with me. And then he said, the people that you, that should be around your bed when you're dying are the people you need to be loving while you're living. Because look at me at the end of my life, who's next to me, my financial advisor, where are my children? And I was like, wow, you know, like, he's like, look what I watched after and cared for so much through the course of my life. He's like, I love you, darling, but I've been mean to my kids. Like I didn't go to their plays. I, you know, I did stuff to where at the end of my life, you're the first person I call. And I was like, wow. You know, he's like, stop running after stuff. So I've had all of these lessons at, at the end of lives that have given me a little bit of perspective where I'm like, it can't be that we are just what's been given to us, right? We're born perfect. Everything that comes next is information. It's a matter of you actually kind of taking ownership of that, that being, that temple, that however you want to look at yourself. So what information did I actually put in there myself or believe or, um, or, or what did I allow just to kind of be assimilated because someone who I put on a pedestal told me, who at the end of their life might tell you they were wrong. Like, <laughs> it, it, it's, 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 very, it's a very profound idea. And, and, and on top of it, what, I, what I'm hearing you say and how you, you transition from what your client said to you to that lesson is, I think there's a certain perspective that we have that, you know, I'm doing this part now, but in the future, I'll get it figured out. And right. And it's not true. Like if you, you have to take responsibility to the extent that, again, that, that deathbed concept is like, is this going to, you know, let's say nothing changes. Like how's the relationship with the kids going to be? You know what right. I'm saying? It's like, right. you're not going to get that time back. That's fascinating. So, so how, let's say, give me a, I mean, if, if you look at yourself and, and, and forgive me for being so, so invasive, if you look at yourself, what would you say when you strip away everything? Mm -hmm. Like what's left? What is there that is independent of everything? I, I've done a lot of work on myself and I think for me it was, it was connecting back to the idea that I am a soulful person. Um, it was connecting back to faith. I needed to believe in something bigger than me that wasn't packaged and, and handed to me, but I needed to reconnect with that, that the God that I know now is not the God that I was, I, that was handed to me. And I think that that was profound for me. Um, those two things first before I started digging into the rest because once I established a relationship, I think with my soul and started trusting that I could make good decisions without asking other people 
And then connected to a higher, my higher power and my, my faith, I was like, okay, game changer. Now I can start, now with a belief and a foundation and faith, even in myself, I can start digging through this and being like, that doesn't feel good. Like this, like, this doesn't feel good. I wouldn't want my daughter to believe this. Um, and it even goes so far as like, you know, the messages that we receive and the friendships we bring into our life. I mean, I went deep um, to really understand how I wanted to show up for myself first, for my daughter, and then for the world around me. Great. So, so, so just to, to reiterate the interesting concept and just sort of how non-intuitive this might be is that, you know, and I think that, that it's speaking about children and the messaging as we continually have more and more exposure from without, what you're saying is that the whole, the whole breakthrough happened when you went within. So even yeah. if we're looking from spirituality from without, that's still going to be, it's not going to matter if you don't know yourself. You're just going to become another cog wearing, you know, maybe certain clothes or doing certain ritual, but yep. it's not you. It doesn't exactly. mean that something's wrong, but it's like, it's not you. And you got to know you before you can figure out how do I plug into my unique space? A hundred percent. And I see so many people who are like, they'll throw a scripture at you or they'll give you like, well, God says this, but then they do something really mean or gossipy. And you're like, wait a minute. Like, has that, do has that infiltrated your soul yet? Like yeah. I, you can throw it out and you can spout it out. But has that gotten into you yet? And who do you, who do you want to be also for the people you influence in your child? And I think that's the other thing people don't realize is a lot of times people are afraid to go within because it's messy work and they don't want to find the, the dragons and the demons and all of that stuff. There's all of these things to uncover and unwind. If you don't, your child will have to. And that's the thing that drives me crazy is that I'm like, if you don't, you are subconsciously, unconsciously passing along your negative beliefs, your beliefs about your body, your gendered experience, what you think about everything in the world to your child just by existing. And then they've got to go unpack that. So do them a favor and get to work first. What are, what are demons and dragons that we, that we worry about? What are the, you know, just, just, just for those people who... Are, are not familiar with doing the deep work, so to speak, and, mm -hmm. you know, going into these kind of things. What are some of the things that a person might find that your clients find that you found and, and how do you overcome it? There's a lot of uh, uh, women, especially was really interesting. The correlation between their body image and eating disorders and the way their mother spoke about her own body. Tell me more. I had quite a few women who shared with them, shared with me that it wasn't even necessarily that the mom was like, hey, it was more like the mom talking about her own body, like, oh my God, I'm so overweight, or I need to go on a diet again, or dad saying to the mom, like, hey girl, your hips are getting big. And all of a sudden they have this kind of expectation of the way that they should look. And it stayed within, a lot of them developed eating disorders. Um, there was several women who shared with me that if their parents didn't talk to them about sex and healthy relationships, they, they allowed the world to, right? And unfortunately, that led to promiscuity, early uh, and unwanted pregnancies. Um, and several women said, like, I didn't know what to do with my body. I just knew that it was something that I gave to a man. And that you got to unwind a whole lot of stuff once you start on that path, because if you believe that a man owns your body, that's going to create really unhealthy relationship paradigms. I didn't have one woman who came to my project who was like, I've got body image figured out. That's one thing it seems like across the board women really struggled with and how it from being a child moved into their relationships with men later on. Um, and, so, and so just to show the example of what that, of when you say like a dragon or a demon, that, that concept is a person might not understand why 
they're seeing certain, you know, habitual patterns in their relationships or yes. how men treat them or how they see themselves. Like, you know, that, that whole concept of body dysmorphia is so fascinating because it's like you might lose a ton of weight, but you're still disgusting in your own eyes. And, right. and I guess that's kind of a, that's kind of a, uh, what's not spoken about because the diet and, and health industry is such a, you know, lucrative business. It's like, right. even if you lose the weight and you don't love yourself, you're still going to, you're not going to love yourself. It's not going to work. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. And I think it's, I think that's what it is. The dragons and the demons are these insidious beliefs. They're these tiny little beliefs that you have acquired over the span of your life that you don't even realize you think are true, right? It's, it's, it's digging in and finding those little guys and saying, I don't want you anymore. You're not welcome here anymore. And sometimes that means that you have to kind of unwind something that your parents shared with you or create boundaries and do a lot of personal work. It's not it's not fast, it's not easy, but the other side of it is so much more healthy. And if you don't, these little dragons and demons show up in your relationships, they show up with your parenting, they show up in your career, they show up in so many ways during your life to kind of clue you in to there's something going on under the surface that I need to pull out. As someone that worked in the financial industry and is involved with high net worth individuals and, and, and you know, the, there's a certain premise, just like if I'm skinny, I'll be happy. Yeah, if I'm yeah. financially well off, I'll be happy. And I'm curious if you, can, if you can speak on behalf of your clients that, you know, a lot of times before it's like, how do, you know, what's the perfect sales pitch or how many calls do I have to make before I start closing deals? How much do these, what you said are, you know, these small shifts affect the big picture? Do you, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking. I'm not, I'm, I'm asking, I'm not trying to suggest it, but if you're working with, with people, the little shifts, how big is that impact? On so them? with um, the clients that I worked with, I, I did my kind of coaching and, and the self-development work separately. Um, what I will tell you is that um, money just complicates things. There's still mental illness. There's still beliefs of um, worthiness. Money just tends to masks mask and offers this idea of success. Um, it offers this idea like I have achieved and now my ego is available. And so now you can't touch me. I'm impenetrable, but the cracks and fissures are still there to be worked out. Um, and so that's, I, I see the dichotomy sometimes between the rich and the poor and the poor kind of look at the rich like, oh, they've got it so great. I'm like, they can't trust anyone. Most of their kids are having some type of either financial issues or they're on some type of drug. Um, the issues are just different, right? It gives them options. It absolutely gives them options and it gives them comfort. But the issues are just sometimes even more aggravated because they are... It's a multiplier. It's a multiplier. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> you know, it's so fascinating. It, and it's something that, that I think is intuitive, but not, not so intuitive, is that, you know, we want the wealth or the body or the marriage or whatever it might sure. be, the, the good kids, whatever it might be, um, to give us a certain feeling. We think that this is going to give us a certain feeling, but then the way that we go about trying to achieve it is a very, again, same thing. It's a very intellectual, it's a very technical game. You know, what are the tips and tricks to losing weight or to, to raising kids properly? And then once you get it, you know, it's like really all I was looking for was the feeling. So if I can feel fulfilled and, and valuable without the money, so to speak, then like, that's what I should probably work on because that's what I really want from the money. I can just jump the middleman. Yep, 100%. I think, I think with anyone across the board, we are all humans on a path trying to figure out how to make the next best decision every single day. And to me, I think it's really about also kind of understanding when I'm in ego, 
when I'm in sadness, when I'm starting to be triggered, when I'm, there's so much self-awareness that's required. I don't care how much money you have, how fit you are, how whatever. Um, I've had to get to a place of self-awareness where when I walk into a room and I can suddenly feel my ego start to pop in, I'm like, oh, there she is. What's she doing here? Why do I feel like I'm not worthy of this space that I've got to start putting my ego on? And it's been a really interesting kind of path because I wouldn't have noticed that before. I would have gone in and kind of thrown weight and been like, hey, I'm here. You know, and now I'm kind of like, why do I feel like I need to do that? I don't. Um, I just wish more people, no matter what they're, who they are in the world and where they are on the scale of, of things, would kind of learn like, hey, this might be a little bit of bad behavior, triggered behavior, something that I need to pull out and figure out. Yeah, and I think that so much of, as, as you said, like so much of who we think we are is just how we're behaving and what our position is. But once you, I guess the, the first really big breakthrough is to see our behavior as not the end of, of, of the chain, but it's like that is part of the process of saying, well, why am I behaving that way and, and exactly. what's, what's causing it? Exactly. We didn't get into parenting or, or co-parenting <laughs> or the other thing. So I apologize. Maybe we'll come back and have a longer conversation, but I yeah, want to be respectful of time. Please tell um, the listeners how they can find out more about you, the work that you're doing potentially to work with you. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is JeanetteSchneider.com. My book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future is on Amazon. And I am on Instagram all the time at ms.jeanetteschneider. Amazing. Jeanette, thank you so much for the time. Of course. Glad to be here. There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.